the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Arthur Idala on AM 970. The answer. This is the Arthur Idala Power Hour with quintessential New Yorker attorney Arthur Idala, New York's go-to lawyer. He's here to share his stories from in the courtroom and around the city with interviews from high-profile guests and everyday folks calling in to talk about everything from politics, lifestyle, health and wellness, and more. And now your host, making the case for the city he loves, attorney Arthur Idala. Six oh four Monday morning. <laughs> Not here. It feels like a, a, a Monday morning because I've been a malaise of all the news. You, I mean, I opened up the three newspapers: the, the Post, the News, and and the Times. And I always try to keep it positive. I always try to keep it upbeat. Boy, it's you know, it's that it's a little difficult to do today. Um, I'm going to leave it to the mayor to tell us how bad the weekend was. NYPD officer Jason Rivera was killed. In the line of duty that Friday night, doing what he swore in oath to do, protect the people of this city. We pray for him, his family, as well as for his partner, Officer Wilbert Mora, who remains in the hospital. So Friday night, I was at a fun event with my family and friends. And one of the friends who I was with is a former first grade detective. I retired first grade detective. and, And, you know. He's the one who told me about what happened and initially was that both officers were killed and it just like brought the festivities to a screeching halt, uh, it, you know, and it's it's always horrible. But it's a little different when you're with someone who had that job for decades and, and was a decorated detective and, you know, watching him go through that personal feeling and the limited exposure I had to uh, police officers getting killed were... I was with uh, Mayor de Blasio a couple of days after, um, literally like two days after um, Officers Ramos and Lou were executed sitting in their car and watching Mayor de Blasio literally shaking like a leaf. He had just left the Lou family and how distraught he was. Um, and then dealing with those families because we um, we created the foundations for both of those officers and I've been as involved as I can be with the um, Rafael Ramos Foundation. I actually just did a video for them. I spoke to his wife, Maritza, today, just asking her how she's doing because, you know, it also brings up all of these emotions, these raw emotions. I mean, you know, Jason Rivera, Officer Jason Rivera, who I'm sure they're going to elevate to detective. That's what they do. Um it's kind of customary. I mean, he's 22 years old. He just got married in October. His wife is posting all of these heart-wrenching uh, Instagram photographs. And, you know, now Will Mora, who, you know, he's in the hospital fighting for his life. Uh, the shooter, McNeil, did die hours ago. Uh, the legal part, which we can talk about in a couple of minutes, is that I believe the attorney general's office said that they were going to take that case away from the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, which is, as 
Uh, I mean, that's the worst thing that can happen to a new prosecutor. You know, you just get elected and you're in the office for three weeks and a huge case comes in like the shooting of a police officer. But you've put out this memo saying you're not going to be asking for any case with life without the possibility of parole. And this is the exact type of case where life without the possibility of parole was designed for is killing a police officer, a law enforcement officer in the line of duty. Uh, And that case was taken by the attorney general's office of course now for that particular person mcneil who just died that case is moot but they'll still do an investigation etc cetera, etc cetera. but let's talk about what eric adams had to say today uh, at a news conference he held we will not surrender our city to the violent few we're going to go back and we won't go back to the bad old days we're going to get trigger pullers off the streets and guns out of their hands so, now, it wasn't just all verbiage, right? He, he, wasn't, he didn't just use words. He released a 15-page uh, report that um, it was a blueprint. It was what it was called. And it's, it's pretty intensive. I'm going to run through some, some of the specific recommendations that he has. And, and any of you who listen to ca- the Cats Roundtable will hear that, you know, Judge, uh, former Commissioner Bratton, he read the report. He said, I, I endorse everything that's in there. And I wouldn't be surprised if quietly he was not consultant because Commissioner Bratton, I know, has a very strong relationship with Eric Adams. The biggest, the highlight of it, right, is they're not going to have an anti-crime unit. They're calling it a neighborhood safety team. Um, and the big, I guess, caveat is that those neighborhood safety team members, they're going to have um, body cameras on them. So the anti-crime unit was a very effective law enforcement tool. They were accused or it was alleged that they were abusing stop and frisk. Now, people who think stop and frisk is illegal are 100% wrong. There are just, you can't stop and frisk someone for no reason. There were four steps as to how intrusive and how invasive you could be. I mean, I'll give you the ultimate example. If a police officer watches an individual commit a crime, yeah, well, you know what? They're allowed to stop them and frisk them. It then then goes down from there. If if they believe criminal activity is afoot, now why do they believe that? Well, as the individual is walking down the street, they see a gun hanging off of their waist. Yeah, they're allowed to stop and, and frisk them. Below that, it goes to stop and inquire. If somebody is doing something that they appears they're in a high crime neighborhood where drugs are being sold and right on that corner and they're about to approach that grudge uh, that drug sale they're allowed to say excuse me can i ask you a question why are you here at three o'clock in the morning uh and you don't really look like you belong in this neighborhood we could have a whole conversation about this element with my partner judge Cammons, because this is truly his area of expertise he wrote the textbook on it um but so the uh, the anti-crime unit came into um, under some scrutiny. But here, here, here's what happened. Here's why we're in the position we're in, in my opinion. Because even in the beginning of the Bill de Blasio era, everything was still fine. Everything was still, uh, crime was still at record lows. Um, and, you know, don't forget, it was, it was Commissioner Bratton who was at the helm uh, in the first term of, of uh, Bill de Blasio's mayoralty. What happened was there were these knee-jerk reactions to what took place in another state, in another city, by another police department, by one police officer, Derek Chauvin, with George Floyd. And because of something that happened far away from here, we changed all of our policies. 
okay, yes, there was Eric Gardner, but you know what? We didn't change any major policies uh, with Eric Gardner except a particular type of chokehold was not supposed to be used anymore. Okay, that's fine. If that's what made sense, that's what made sense. But because of what happened with George Floyd, they took the anti-crime unit off the street, and that anti-crime unit was very effective in getting guns off the street. So it was no secret uh, candidate Eric Adams said he was going to put that type of a unit back on the street. If you want to be, be critical, if we're going to be objective, maybe that was something that should have been done on day one. In Eric Adams, all of his campaign speeches, he was very clear that on day one, this is going to change. On day one, that's going to change. Well, maybe on day one, that team should have been up and ready to go. Now, it's hard because he can't bleed into uh, the pre-existing police department, meaning uh, Bill de Blasio's police department. But Again, if we're going to be objective and if, if someone wants to criticize Eric Adams, I guess that would be the criticism. Certainly, you can't blame this crime spree on a mayor who's been in office for three weeks. Um, but what he's saying now is in three weeks, so six weeks into his administration, there will be these new anti-crime units called neighborhood safety teams. They will not be uh, in uniform. They will not be driving police cars. And he's going to put them into the locations where 80% of the violence occurs. And 80% of the violence occurs in these small neighborhoods. And you could probably guess which ones they are. In Brooklyn, it's Brownsville and Bed-Stuy. And in, uh, in, in the Bronx, it's in the South Bronx. And in Manhattan, it's all the way on the Upper West Sides. It's not, you know, it's not that hard. And with um, computers... And statistics, they could really pinpoint it. I mean, that's how Giuliani and Bratton got crime down. They used computers. It was called CompStat, computer statistics. They they got all of the 911 calls. They saw where all of the uh, the crimes were taking place. And based on that data, based on those statistics, they flooded those areas with the police. And it came down. And you know who they held accountable? The police captains of the each respective precinct. And every week... They would have a CompStat meeting, and boy, it was Lou Anamone was the chief of department and, and Commissioner Bratton, and they would dress down. I was there as a prosecutor. I was there as an assistant U.S. attorney. Listen to me. I was there as an assistant district attorney um, observing. And, you know, what are you doing about the robbery of that grocery store? What are you doing about the mugging over here? What are you doing about that assault over there? What are you doing about the drug dealing over there? And, and the captains would have to have answers. Well, we have an undercover source here. We, we're, we doubled our patrol in this particular area. We're in this park until, uh, you know, the sun uh, through, through the night to make sure there's no drug dealing going on in the park. Or we just lock the gates so it makes it more difficult to, for them to get in. So we need real answers here. Um, Alvin Bragg, District Attorney Bragg, this morning, obviously he is feeling heat from all, all over. He has made a, a statement today saying he is going to aggressively and the word he used is traditionally prosecute gun cases. Traditionally prosecute gun cases. What does traditionally mean? Traditionally means if people uh, are caught with an illegal gun, that means that they are going to do some form of jail time. These are not e- easy issues. This is not a, a great time in New York City. As I said, I mean, you know, my head is so messed up. I'm telling you, it's Monday morning when I'm coming down here. It's, it's already been, uh, you know, a rough week, and it's Monday. Yeah, the, the, when I looked at the Instagram of, of Police Officer Rivera, you know, it, it just breaks your heart, and it brings me back 
to Maritza Ramos, Rafael Ramos's widow, and, and how destroyed she was right after his murder. So we'll get through it. We're going to get, when we come back, we're going to go through uh, a little bit of what Eric Adams said today he's going to do. And you could decide whether it's going to work. There are a lot of great proposals. We'll go through them. There's about 16 or 17. We'll decide what, what's going to work and what won't. Secrets, nurse me your questions. Oh, let's go back to the start. Well, sadly, we are talking about not being here when uh, at some point, and uh, obviously, you know, we're talking about the death of a 22-year-old, and we all feel sometimes that we're invincible and uh, we're never going to die. But you know what? That's just not the truth. So, Connors and Sullivan truly believes, and I agree with them; they are right. When you're healthy, when you're able to stroll into a lawyer's office, that's the time to think about, well, what's going to happen if I'm not healthy? What's going to happen if I'm sick? What's going to happen if I die? The fact is, if something happens, you might not be able to designate a power of attorney or a healthcare proxy. Then what happens? Then the state or the courts may have to make those decisions for you. I, I, I can tell you that's not what you want, being involved in the state, uh, state <laughs> courts and, and, and the government. That's why it's essential to create a power of attorney and a healthcare proxy as soon as you can, when you're healthy, put in the will, put in a trust if that's appropriate. Call Connors and Sullivan. They really know their stuff. They've been doing this for 40 years. They'll help you make the plan that protects you the best. You'll designate who you want to make these decisions for you. For a free in-person initial consultation with a lawyer, call 718-238-6500. That's got to be one of the greatest, I believe, one-hit wonder songs of all time. Um, I love that song. Thank you, Matt. I needed to be cheered up a little bit. So let's let, let let's let's talk about the positive stuff. Let's talk about the positive stuff that that Mayor Adams is putting forth. So besides basically saying he's bringing back what's now called the neighborhood safety team. Oh, and let me just throw a dig out. Jumani Williams, after hearing all of these uh, these recommendations, especially. Uh, about the 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 newly called neighborhood safety team said we shouldn't go back on the policies that uh, kept crime down in the city. There should be a progressive take. We should have used these progressive. Uh, basically, what he's saying is, uh, you know, soft on crime uh, policies and let the communities police themselves. I don't even know. There was nothing specific whatsoever, whereas Mayor Adams has a 15 point plan 15-page plan on what needs to be do needs to be done. 
I'm telling you, we did suffer. It's statistical for changes that we made based on what happened in another state, in another city, with another police department, with one other officer who's now in jail. So, and actually the trial started today for the three other officers who were there watching Derek Chauvin uh, with with George Floyd and as the jury found murdering George, George Floyd. So here's what Eric Adams has to say. Okay. We're going to put these teams back out there. There'll be undercover officers in undercover cars, but they will have body cameras on. So hypothetically, in the worst case scenario that certain people are thinking of, if they just roll up on someone and they have no probable cause to believe that, that a crime is about to happen or that a crime did happen and they just grab them and throw them down and, and search them, that'll be on camera and those officers will be held accountable. So... We're going to put the best, and and usually in those teams are the best and brightest officers in the city. What Adams has said over and over again, there are too many police officers on desk duty and doing paperwork. They want to hire more civilians to do those kinds of, and they call PAA, um, police administrative assistant, put them on the desk, have them do all the administrative duty, and police officers who are trained to be out on the street need to get back on the street. Because of his positive relationship with Governor Hochul, unlike de Blasio's relationship with Cuomo, he has the commissioner of the NYPD and the chief of the state the police, state police working more closely together. What uh, Governor Cuomo did when, I mean, you all know who travel the city now, you never saw the state police hanging outside the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel or the Brooklyn Bridge or anything like that. That was a Cuomo thing to show his power. Well, uh, it's not just the city police. The state is looking over you as well. Okay, that's that's fine. But because there wasn't a lot of love between the governor and the mayor, they were never really as coordinated as they could have been. So he's pushing very hard, the mayor is, to to coordinate more closely with the state police and the NYPD, which I think is, makes a lot of sense. It's called the Iron pot lo- Pipeline. The guns, the guns that are coming up from the south, where it's legal to buy a gun, then they scrape off the serial number, they bring them up, they drive them in a car, they bring them up to New York City, and they sell them in New York City. What Eric Adams is saying, we need to work with the state police and the people who guard the borders of the state having spot checks for guns. Uh, Anything that seems suspicious, that gives them reason to pull someone over and say, you know, what's in the car, what's in the trunk, et cetera, et cetera, trying to figure out to stop the guns before they come into the city of New York or even the state of New York. Um, And along those lines, one another proposal is that they need to work much more closely. NYPD needs to work much more closely with ATF. ATF is the, um, the, the federal agency, uh, which his assignment is to keep illegal guns off the street. He's talking about using all modern technology available to identify people who would appear to be running guns. So if all of a sudden some guy who does not have a house in Virginia, but they're able to look, oh, well, here's his easy pass and here's his credit card. And why is he going from Virginia to New York and Virginia to New York and Virginia to New York? That could be one, not the only, but one of identifying factors to take a look at who this person is. On the more um, positive, uh, preventative side, he says you have to increase summer youth employment. We got to get kids away from guns, away from gr- drugs, away from criminal activity, and get them working. Quote, the best anecdote to crime 
is career. Eric Adams, you're 100% correct on that. So he wants to use some of the money in the city budget to hire younger people to do some city jobs, even if it's just for the summer, so that while they're not in school, it keeps them occupied. He's talking about the city judges. Who are the city judges that he will be appointing to sit in these criminal parts? Are they the judges that have the courage and the background to crack down on people who need to be cracked down on, Unlike the, but unlike people who need help? You know, it's not, okay, everyone now who's going to get arrested is going to pay the price for a small percentage of people who are very violent. There are people who get arrested who need some help, who need rehabilitation, who need housing, who need uh, schooling. Everyone shouldn't be thrown to Rikers Island, but there are some people who should be thrown to Rikers Island. And one of the big proposals he has that would have to come from the state legislature is currently, even under the messed up bail laws that are are out there now, one of the factors that judges, any judge, cannot take into consideration as a state judge is the dangerousness of the person before them who was just arrested. In federal court, if you get locked up for a federal federal crime, whether it's a white-collar crime, meaning you stole uh, you know, money through a bank account, or it doesn't mean you robbed a bank, but you uh, doctored up some paperwork and fraud, fraudulently got money from a bank or another individual. But in cases especially of organized crime of all different cultures, uh, a judge is allowed to take dangerousness into account. Say, hey, you're here because you're charged with a RICO charge, and in that RICO charge you killed four people, or someone in your conspiracy killed four people. I am taking that into account, and even though you have a billion dollars to put up on bail, I don't feel comfortable with you being out on the street, so I am holding you in remand. I don't care if you come in here with $10 billion. I'm not letting you out. Not because I think you're not going to come back, but because I think if I let you out, you are a danger to society. A state court judge cannot say that. By the law, they're not allowed to say with their mouth on the record that I am not letting you out because I think you're dangerous. They can only say I'm not letting you out because I don't think you're going to come back, that the charges against you are so serious that even if you put up a million dollars, I think you're going to flee. So I cannot take dangerousness into account. Eric Adams wants the state legislature to take dangerousness into account. Uh the next thing, I don't know if this is legal or not, but right now, if you're 16 or 17 years old and you get caught with a gun, you get charged in family court. Only if you're 18 or over, you get charged in criminal court. So family court, you don't go to a regular prison. You get treated much differently because we don't want these young people who make mistakes to have these criminal records burdened, to be burdened with them for the rest of their career. Oh, their lives, I should say. But what he's proposing, and I'd have to check and see whether this is legal or not. If you're arrested with a gun at 16 to 17 and you're getting charged as a youth, if you don't give up where you got the gun from, he wants you to then to be prosecuted in criminal uh, court. So now you are going to Rikers Island. Now you are facing a mandatory minimum jail sentence if the gun is loaded and operable. I'm not sure if that one is constitutionally legal or not. Um, he wants the five district attorneys to have a weekly meeting with the uh, police commissioner and the deputy mayor in charge of public safety, Phil Banks, which is the beginning of what that CompStat situation was that I spoke about earlier, where they go over the, the, the statistics of what's going on where. Here it's at a higher level. It's the district attorneys. So how many people 
uh, you know, have been charged with guns. What are those pleas? What kind of plea offers are you plea offers are you giving those people? And he wants a triage so that the gun cases now go to the front of the line, that they don't languish, especially if someone is not incarcerated, and that they get immediate attention by the district attorney's office. Uh, he called on the courts to chill out with some of the COVID protocols and not have six foot distancing, only three foot distancing to get juries back in there and to start trying cases again to get these people off the street. He called for a national crime of gun trafficking. Right now, gun trafficking is not a federal crime. He said it should be a a federal crime and there should be substantial penalties for trafficking guns illegally. He put a lot in that memo. Now, whether it all comes to fruition or not, you know what, even if half of it comes to fruition. I mean, the other thing that he pointed out is that he needs the, the feds help with are these ghost guns. There are websites where you can order legally parts for a gun, different parts for a gun. Well, if I order five parts and San Bellino orders five parts and we get together, we can now put a whole gun together and that gun is untraceable. So there's a lot that needs to be done with gun violence. There's a lot that needs to be done with street violence. And we have a mayor who seems very, very committed to do so. We're going to take a quick break and we'll come back. We're going to talk about the United States Supreme Court. I'm Lou Dobbs. The Dow opened the new week by plunging 1,100 points, then recovering. Those stories next. Here's some great news. If you missed the deadline to sign up for health insurance or if, like a lot of people, you just have a plan you're not happy with, you still have a choice. It's called MediShare. It's a Christian healthcare sharing program. There are more than 400,000 members now, and they love it. In fact, MediShare has double the customer satisfaction rate compared to that of health insurance. And MediShare really is the gold standard when it comes to healthcare sharing. It's been around more than 25 years. Members have shared more than $4 billion of each other's medical bills. Plus, MediShare is for you. It has saved its members billions by advocating on their behalf. Best of all, the typical savings for a family is around $6,000 a year. So if you think you're stuck with a high-cost health plan that doesn't have much to offer, think again. MediShare has a 98% customer satisfaction rating, and you are invited to be part of it. Call now, 877-64-BIBLE. That's 877-64-BIBLE. 877-64-BIBLE. The Dow Jones Industrials began the day by dropping 1,100 points, and the S&P 500 slid into correction territory Investors are spooked by rising inflation, international tensions, and pending Federal Reserve interest rate hikes. Some big losers today included Moderna. It shares down 11% and Tesla down more than 8%. At the closing bell, stocks rebounded with the Dow Jones Industrials gaining 99 points. Ford Motor Company today said it's cutting off orders for the new more affordable Maverick pickup truck, Ford says it's maxed out on the number of trucks it can build to fill the orders it already has. Please join me tomorrow for my updates on this station. This is the Lou Dobbs Financial Report. News, opinion, passion. This is AM 970, The Answer. 32 degrees, we have cloudy skies on this Monday evening. What's going on? We have the answer. Well, students are home safe and sound after a gun scare at a middle school in Uniondale this afternoon. 
Nassau County Police Commissioner Patrick Ryder says the event at Lawrence Road Middle School could be part of a social media prank. We believe this is a TikTok event that is going national. A caller threatened gun violence against children and staff members. Members of the Nassau County Police SWAT team were sent in to investigate. Meantime, Commissioner Ryder said this investigation is far from over. New Yorkers are reflecting on the rookie NYPD officer who was shot and killed in Harlem on Friday. Let's get more from Scott Pringle. Flowers, candles, and notes sent outside the 32nd Precinct where fallen officer Jason Rivera was stationed. Jared Fox was his science teacher. He always had a smile on his face. Uh, He did everything that you could ever ask of a student. There's been five police officers shot since Mayor Eric Adams took office at the start of the year. Adams has called on the feds to help stop the flow of illegal guns into the city. This guy says Adams needs to do more. How about you do your job? Adams. You've been on the job for three weeks at this point, and things have not been going very well. You know, we have people getting pushed in front of trains. We have officers getting shot. We have kids getting shot. Scott Pringle, NBC News Radio, New York. Thank you, Scott. Taking a look at the traffic in New Jersey. Palisades Parkway is still a little bit slow in Bergen County. On the northbound side, approaching the New York State Line near Exit 4 in Alpine, an accident still being cleaned up. Westbound Route 4 near Route 17 in Paramus, that is an accident being worked on. Across the Hudson River, about 10 minutes, the outbound Holland Tunnel, 10 minutes of the outbound Lincoln Tunnel. Both tunnels okay on the city-bound side. Cloudy skies tonight with steady temperatures in the lower 30s overnight. Partly sunny tomorrow, high 43. Sunny and cold on Wednesday with a high of 24. Sunny Thursday, high 29. Cloudy with a chance of rain or snow on Friday with a high of 36. And now you know what's going on. I am Mike Barker on AM 970, The Answer. We're back to the Arthur Idala Power Hour with New York City's preeminent trial attorney and quintessential New Yorker, attorney Arthur Idala. Hi, folks. So I'm back, and I now know it's not Monday morning. Um, but I, I do want to say, I mean, there's a reason why I feel so passionate about this, and I know we all do. But unlike some of the other radio talk show hosts around the whole dial, you know, I, as far as I know, um, I'm the only one who was in law enforcement, who was a, an assistant district attorney when this was when when the Giuliani administration came in and when all these changes were made. Um, so I'm not really talking out of my ear. I'm talking from life experience, living it as a prosecutor, living it as a defense attorney, living it as the vice president of the Kings County Criminal Bar Association, the president of the Brooklyn Bar Association. You know, I kind of know a little bit about what goes on in the criminal justice system. Uh, I'm not telling you I'm the preeminent uh, expert, but if you want to ask a couple of questions, you can feel free to email me at arthur at abklawnyc.com, arthur at abklawnyc.com. I am going to have a couple of very special guests, one tomorrow uh, for sure. Um, from who's going to give you an inside look at what happens in the NYPD right after a police officer gets shot. And then I'm going to do to, I asked Maritza uh, Ramos, who's Rafael Ramos, who was killed uh, as a police officer. He was raised to the level of a detective, Detective Rafael Ramos, if she wants to come on and join us later in the week to tell you what it's like for a family member who gets the worst call, right, you could ever get. The only thing it re- reminds me of is when, you know, when my dad was a captain in, in during the period of the Vietnam War and he was stationed in Brooklyn and he'd have to go and tell ring the doorbell and tell a family member that their loved one had died in, in battle, usually their son or their husband, and how, you know, as soon as they opened the door and they saw his face, 
they would knew what happened. And, and it was the same here when, you know, Maritza opened the door and she saw there was an officer there. And it's 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 the worst, literally the worst. Uh, but again, if you want any inside baseball or you want to disagree with me, which is fine about why we're at this point right now, because I do blame it on these changes of policy after the whole George Floyd incident took place. Uh, email me and yell at me at Arthur at ABKLawNYC.com or come on Facebook and yell at me there or yell at me on Twitter. There's plenty of forums for you to tell me I'm wrong or bring up a point that I did not bring up. Um, Speaking of various viewpoints, in 2003, United States Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor, the first woman on the United States Supreme Court put there by Ronald Reagan, was quoted in a decision that she wrote saying, the use of racial preferences will no longer be necessary in 25 years. Well, 25 years from 2003 is 2028. Um, So we're not there yet. But um, that was a case involving affirmative action in colleges and what um, factors can a school use in their admissions policy. Now, in 2016, the issue came up again, and it was a somewhat diminished court, uh, but it was a very it was a different makeup than the court that's going to hear a case now. They agreed to hear it. Uh, it's a case involving Harvard University and the University of North Carolina about their admission policies. Um, the case in 2016 that upheld Harvard uh, basically from discriminating against uh, or yes, for discriminating against Asian Americans because they took factors into account besides the normal factors, right? Grade point average, what high school you're coming from, what's your SAT score, what are your extracurricular activities. They took into account, quote, likability, courage, and kindness. Now, I'm not saying that those are not factors that should be considered. Um, they should be considered kind of in almost in many aspects of life, but it basically gives them the ability to admit whomever they want. You know, how do you judge someone's courage? There are very few examples. I mean, some guy, oh yeah, this student drove into the ice water and pulled a a deer that was stranded there out of the ice water. Okay, that's courageous act. You're admitted. Um, But besides those types of examples, like how do you judge someone on likability, courage, and kindness? But they did hold in 2016 that schools can basically use these factors and then and that's how they were weeding out uh caucasians and uh asian americans and they were allowing in uh i believe that people of native american background hispanic background and african american background the judges that made up the court in 2016 were very different justice scalia had died so he did not participate and Justice Kagan was the, had been the dean or whatever the, her official title was, the president of Harvard. So she had to recuse herself. So Justice Kennedy wrote the opinion and it was joined by Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who's passed away and is no longer with us. And Justice Breyer, who's there, Justice uh, Sotomayor, who's there. And it's presumed if Justice Kagan was there, she would have joined in as well. It was a four to three uh, decision. So now they have all nine justices, but those justices, Justice um, Kennedy, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, um, and Justice Scalia, who wasn't there but now has been replaced by a very different uh, composition. 
And can a school like the University of North Carolina, can they discriminate against white and Asians to allow more blacks, more Hispanics, and more Native Americans in just to, um, for the mere reason, can they say it, we need more diversity in the schools that helps education. What um, Justice Kennedy wrote in his decision is, it remains an enduring challenge to our nation's education system to reconcile the pursuit of diversity with the constitutional promise of equal treatment and dignity. So he wrote a, a... very good decision, but he know, he he acknowledges the challenges. Now, Ruth Bader Ginsburg said, Justice Ginsburg said that the ruling would endure, that had Kagan voted, it would have been five to three, and that you will, and quote, she says, you won't see any affirmative action cases again regarding education. Well, Justice Ginsburg, it was incorrect because we are going to have uh, a case that is going to affect um, how who gets into school, and uh, under what criteria you get into school and how random that criteria is. I mean, we we all believe in diversity. Well, I shouldn't say we all, but most of the people I know believe in diversity. But you also believe in equality. So if if you take away the color of someone's skin and someone is clearly more qualified to enter that institution... And then, then someone else who you don't know their background. It's just, you know, candidate A and candidate B and candidate C. And candidate A is clearly the one who has the highest SAT scores, the highest grade point average from the best school, was the captain of three sports and, and sang uh, the, the role of Harold Hill in The Music Man, uh, you know, versus candidate B who did okay but clearly is not in that same league. Do you let candidate B in? Just because they're purple or green or orange, you know what what Kennedy just says in his decision that said you can do that is is it really fair? Is it fair to candidate A to be discriminated against because candidate A is an Asian American or be, and there's a lot of qualified Asian Americans, or because candidate B is an uh, a a white person, and because there's a lot of white people getting to school, do you say well, sorry you can't come to Harvard? Even though Harvard is this storied institution, we're going to let in, you know, somebody else who needs a break. Now, I will tell you, when there was an argument, I believe it was in 2003, and Justice Scalia said, if you're allowing someone in who's really not qualified to keep up with the curriculum, are you really helping them or are you hurting them? And he came under a tremendous amount of... Uh, you know, he, he was derided for saying that and that was racist. But if you understand the concept is if you know someone doesn't have the SAT score, someone doesn't have the grade point average from a college that is really I'm sorry, from a high school that has really prepared you for that college. And now you just throw them into that college. Are you helping the person or are you hurting them? You know, there are studies on this, on diversity and the impact on education and the impact on who you are as a person. I will tell you, I am all about it. I, from when I was in grammar school and in the 1970s, and I was in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, but they had the busing program, and the guy who's probably watching right now on Facebook Live who texts me all the time is Lawrence Johnson, and and he was an African-American kid, and Zachary Hazard, and Muhammad Rabba sat to my left, and Israel Wasserstein sat to my right, 
And I, it was awesome. For me, I'm comfortable in all of these environments because of the diversity. But that was public school where we were all going in. We were all going in for free. If you're now going into a, an educational uh, program that is very specific or very taxing, that diversity, it just needs to be handled very carefully. Let's put it that way. I will keep you posted. Look, folks, in this show, I'm trying to keep it local because... All day long on any station on the AM dial, you can hear all you want about national politics and Congress and the presidency and the Senate and the upcoming election. I, the most compliments I've gotten about this show is that it's a place to go hear things about New York City. But things like the United States Supreme Court affect all of us maybe in a more profound way or a more direct way than some of the things that happen in the White House and in Congress. Um, and plus, I really love the United States Supreme Court for reasons that you'll get to know as, as we get to know each other. Speaking of New York, Shelley Silver died uh, today in prison. Uh, Donald Trump actually, President Trump actually um, commuted the sentence of one of my clients, and he was in there with Shelley Silver, and he said he was with Shelley Silver when he found out he was not getting a pardon, and Shelley broke down crying. And my client, when he came to my office the following week, said, yeah, he's definitely going to die in there. Uh, he's, you know, he's really a sick old man, and uh, he, he can't handle being in prison for much longer. So Shelley Silva was convicted of taking bribes, but if you read the coverage today, he did a lot of good things for New Yorkers. May he rest in peace. Something's wrong and not naive. You must be stronger I'm Liz Clayman, and this is the Fox Business Report. Stocks staging a stunning comeback and ending higher. Earlier in the day, the Dow was down over 1,100 points as investors anticipated inflation-fighting measures from the Fed while worrying about tensions in Ukraine. The Dow rising 99 points, the Nasdaq up 86, S&P 500 up 12. And shares of Peloton rose almost 10% after the Wall Street Journal reported that activist investor Blackwell's Capital is calling for its CEO John Foley to be fired and explore a sale after the stationary bike maker stock plunge as demand for its products slows. And Krispy Kreme has a sweet incentive to help with the nationwide blood shortage. Free donuts. The chain, which had one of the largest vaccine incentives last year, said that it will give a dozen glazed donuts to those who donate blood or platelets now through January the 31st. That's your Fox Business Report. I'm Hillary Barsky, invested in you. Run, walk, honor. The Tunnel to Towers 5K Run and Walk in New York City retraces FDNY firefighter Stephen Siller's final footsteps on 9-11. That single event has inspired more than 70 runs, walks, and climbs in different cities across the nation each year. Register for an event in your area or volunteer to start one. Do good and never forget by donating $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. Chances are your home financing questions won't end when this show does. So the next time you have a question about home loans, ask the lending experts at Citizens Bank. They can help you every step of the way during the home buying process, starting with getting a pre-approval before you start shopping for a new home. Call 212-857-6668, 212-857-6668, and ask a citizen. Mortgages are offered and originated by Citizens Bank N.A., NMLS number 433960, Equal Housing Lender. Touching hands 
Reaching out Touching me Touching you Happy birthday to another Brooklyn boy, Neil Diamond, Erasmus High School. Thanks for that information there, Sambolino. You realize, Matt, you realize everyone comes from Brooklyn eventually, right? <laughs> it always comes back to Brooklyn. What's the second largest city, if it were? Uh, no, fourth. Fourth. fourth? fourth. Yeah, yeah. No, let's chill out. And speaking, <laughs> of, uh, speaking of Brooklyn, the Esposito family that hails from Canarsie, Brooklyn, they are the owners of Platinum Mitsubishi in Freehold, New Jersey. 732-863-5501. 732-863-5501. Um, I spoke to Michael a little while ago, right before the show. He wished me good luck. He told me that they just got a bunch of Mitsubishis in, and they got this special like black edition where it's all blacked out, the wheels, the grill, the the headlights in the back. And he said it looks wicked cool. And unlike all these other car dealerships where they're price gouging. So you look at the sticker price and it says it's $25,000. And then you ask the manager, what's the best you could do? The manager says, oh, we could give it to you for 28. 28 what? 28,000. But the sticker price is 25. Well, there's no inventory. So there's an upcharge. They're not doing that at Platinum Freehold. They're not doing that with their new inventory. They're not doing that with their used inventory. So if you need them, Pick up the phone, call 732-863-5501, or you could find them online at Platinum Mitsubishi in Freehold, New Jersey. Ask for Mike Esposito. Just say, Idala sent me, and he says you're going to do the right thing by me. Speaking of doing the right thing, um, a couple of the listeners um, have told me, you know, keep mentioning the gambling thing here and there to, to kind of keep that, that issue that's brand new in New York State alive and in the forefront of people. So this weekend I'm away. And, um, so, you know, a very close by New York place with a bunch of friends and friends of friends. And the first football game that was on was the Cincinnati Bengals game. And we weren't sucked, totally sucked into it. But, you know, it was it was on maybe 15 feet away. We're having a conversation, a couple of libations. And it, it's towards the end of the game now. And now Cincinnati is going to kick the field goal. And they're going to go up and they're going to win by three points. And we're kind of all standing around. And this little person i'm going to say right now it's a because i don't really know who this person is at this particular point i go wow look at this i go they're going to win at the field goal and this little person says to me yeah it does nothing for me i got the bangles at three and a half i said what he said yeah i bet the bangles at three and a half i go you bet the bangles at three and a half i go how old are you he goes i'm 12 i go you're 12 and you bet the Bengals at three and a half. I go, how'd you do that? And he says, Matt, he goes, oh, DraftKings is giving you a three to one. So if you bet a hundred bucks, and it's 300. Hey, this kid starts talking gambling talk. And I go, hold on, you're 12. He goes, yeah, I do it with my dad. Okay. Matt, who's your favorite football team? Sadly, the Jets. Okay. You ever bet against the Jets? No, okay. never. All right. They're, these kids now... It's not about the team. It's not about the Jets. It's not about the Giants. It's not about it's about the bet. Their loyalty, their allegiance is now to the money, to the bet. He wasn't saying, "Oh, uh the Bengals, well, you know, uh whatever. I love this player on him or the Titans, I'm brokenhearted." A 12-year-old. And like you said, the, the websites are giving you the money just to get you started. Yeah. Yeah, they're pulling you in, they're sucking you in, and it's like you know, I I, I 
I was blown off my feet, and the kids, his parents weren't there. He was a guest of someone else. But I said, listen, I'm not going to give anyone up, but I'm talking about this on my show because this is exactly what we're talking about. And, you know, the NFL put up a little promo during the games, like, bet responsibly, don't bet over your head. And, of course, that's all good. I don't know how much good those messages do. But, you know, and, of course, a couple of my friends who have been listening to the show, what are you such a stick in the mud about gambling for? Not really a stick in the mud about gambling for guys who are 40, 50, and 60, but 12? 12? Yeah, that's just ridiculous. And, you know, soon these people are going to probably be recruiting at at colleges and – you know, kind of like what they do with the credit cards. You know, when you yeah, absolutely stores. correct. <laughs> well, listen, folks, we shall see what happens. If if you want to gamble, gamble responsibly. If that's the you know my my game with Luca was playing air hockey, and he beat me two out of two games. You know, we went snow tubing, and we went for like a long walk. We saw a bunch of animals. I wasn't about to say, hey, Luca, what do you think the spread is on the uh, the San Fran's game? I mean, that's just not what I think you should be telling a fifteen year old, let alone a twelve year old. I, I do have to touch on football. Did you watch any football? I did. I caught a couple of the games, yes. I mean. I they were good. Exciting. Very exciting. I mean, all four games. I mean, you don't even have to know anything about football, but to know it's two minutes left and you know, Brady has been down by 24 points. Uh, you know, I thought he was going to pull it off. I, everyone thought. He, I was like, I, I mean, this is. The, the announcers, when he was down by 20, it was 27 to 3. They were already talking about uh, who the Rams are playing next and where they're playing and what's Tom Brady going to do. And then, boom, one touchdown. Boom, another touchdown. Boom, the fumble. Boom, another. Yeah. We're like, what the heck? And then just to tie the game. You We're know. screaming and yelling. It was, it was wild. And it's not that easy to scream and yell when you have a newborn at home. Um, and then the second game. I mean, look, you, if you heard the end of our show on Friday, I was, the last thing I said was go Bills because they're the, you know, the, really the only New York team, the only team playing their place in New York. There were three lead changes with two minutes left. <laughs> I mean, okay, when there was a, he got the ball back when there was a minute 42, you're like, all right, maybe Patrick could get this done for the Chiefs. But when he gets it back with 13 seconds. But should overtime be determined by a coin flip? What do you think Well, about I that? mean, it, look, it cannot, it, it cannot be determined by um, uh, a field goal. In other words, they had to have scored a touchdown. Right. But yeah, I kind of I I feel that they the other team should get a possession. I do feel like the other team at should least get a, a chance possession. to score. Yeah, but you know, if you want to look at the Bills, kind of like I said about the Cowboys last week. In other words, thirteen seconds left. They have the best defense. You you can't let the guy go forty yards away. You know, with thirteen seconds left to kick the field goal. So that's um, it was a great weekend of football. A um, John Belushi's birthday. Is today right, Joan? Is it his John Belushi's birthday? How okay. he's not dead? No, he's definitely dead. Do we know how old he would have been? He would have been in his sixties, I guess, because he's older than I was. That was a that was a true loss. Um, he was a very specific type of actor and comedian. I watched there is a documentary on his life, and it just shows you how money and fame, et cetera, et cetera they do not equal happiness. They can. But it is far from an automatic uh, formula. And when you watch the, the video, or the, um, if you watch the video and you see how uh, the documentary and his wife and all his friends, especially Dan Aykroyd, you know, they played together in Saturday Night Live together and then they were the Blues Brothers together. Um, 
Yeah, he was just depressed. I mean, the guy was, just, you know, he, he had all this fame. He had all this notoriety. He was depressed. And how did he deal with his depression? He started doing so much blow that he literally blew his head off. Um, tonight, my friend Kevin McCullough is, um, has Hillary Kramer on doing It's Money Monday. And we probably all should give that a listen because the stock market's going crazy. Um how about Bitcoin, which I don't know a lot about, but I know that Eric Adams put his first paycheck, uh, which was about $5,900. He converted into crypto country, uh, uh, cryptocurrency, and he lost $1,000 already. Now, it's just like the market. It goes up and down and up and down. What I'm struggling with regarding cryptocurrency, and I think I've said this before, is I have people who owe the law firm money. And they have no problem showing us the millions of dollars they have in their crypto account. But when you ask them, okay, well, could you just write out a check for what you want? Well, we'll pay you in crypto. No, no, no. I don't want to get paid in crypto. I just want American dollars. And they can't convert it back into American dollars. So we will do a show on cryptocurrency because I think it's it's important. It's real. Um, I know there are ATM sh- machines that you could use it with. Uh, obviously, the the mayor saying i mean he's endorsing it right i'm saying hey i'm putting my check into cryptocurrency so it's incumbent upon me to uh instruct all of us and get all of us smart on that one of the great pieces of advice i got from a legendary legendary uh talking head here at the radio station was every time you do a show make sure your listeners walk away and say i never knew that before i learned something new and i couldn't agree with him more as a consumer of radio myself um i love that i love when i learn something new so i hope i could teach you guys something new and especially if we go over the world of bitcoin and cryptocurrency and blockchain in a very simple how do you speak to a fifth grader kind of way i think that would be wonderful um but i really don't even know who to where to start i'll figure it out relatively soon um to be a guest to explain this to us and tomorrow night, I am going to have the former chief of department of the NYPD, uh, Terrence Mo- uh, Monahan on. He's uh, I've gotten to know him over the last two or three months, and he's he's a great guy. I mean, he was the chief of the NYPD. He's going to give us a little insight into how horrible it is um, for the NYPD when they lose one of their own, and and, and another one is in critical condition. And a little bit about the logistics of what takes place and, and the chain of command and the coordination between the NYPD and the FDNY and the, the hospital and the mayor's office, et cetera, et cetera. I'm sure he's going to be a great guest. There's plenty that we could talk to him about. I'm going to see if I can lure him to come into the studio with me and we could talk. All right, folks, we got a full week ahead of us. There's no uh, vacation days, so uh, we have to work hard. It's going to be some interesting weather. No precipitation, it looks like, but it's going to be a little chilly. So bundle up. They say January is the most depressing month, but I am on a mission to not allow you to be depressed despite the sad news that's been going on. So stay tuned for Kevin McCullough. Have a great night. Enjoy dinner. I hope you're home safely, and we will talk to you tomorrow. The preceding program, sponsored by Freehold Mitsubishi. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.